to myself when there's lots of movement and chaos and shift and change and activity, keeping it simple is really grounding. And so offering you, you know, sometimes we come to um, sits or we do day longs or maybe we go on a retreat and a piece of what we do is this thing called taking the refuges. I think a lot of times there's not an opportunity to really stop and pay attention to what we're doing. That it is actually outside of the container of the sit or the day long or the retreat, uh, a container for living our lives out of on a daily, weekly, moment to moment basis. And a lot of us, I think, oftentimes are taking refuge in many things without even being aware that that's what happens. Like, what are we turning to? Are we turning to more activity? Are we turning to the television? Are we turning to shopping? Are we turning to having dinner with a friend every night this week? What are we doing to manage or to take care of perhaps our discomfort or our suffering such that we don't have to turn towards it? As Rumi says, sometimes you hear a voice through the door calling you. As a fish out of water hears the waves. Come back. Come back. This turning towards what you deeply love saves you. Understanding the interdependency and conditional nature of all things is essential to freedom. When we set our intentions to be skillful and reflect on our choices and their results, we are able to open to a very rich area of inquiry that can produce positive effects in our lives. It's probably fair to say that most of us are here, most of us are engaged in this practice of meditation and of understanding the Dharma out of a need to understand ourselves, the need to clarify the confusion or perhaps chaos or sorrow or despair we live in. Many of us, most of us, all of us want to be free and we want to understand, we want to realize, to see for ourselves what this life is all about. There have been many finding refuge in places that are even beyond what we may be accessing at this time in order to do what they did, Martin Luther King Jr., Victor Frankl, Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Joan of Arc, Harriet Tubman. And in today's world, some of the names that I'm familiar with are Tenahasi Coates, Ang Sung Su, and many more who are in the world making a difference, writers, artists, educators, activists, who are living their lives or lived their lives, 
who are leaving legacies or building legacies to exist to end injustice, to survive devastating conditions, to move mountains, to save hundreds of slaves through the Underground Railroad, to move a nation. They had to have faith, or they must have faith, in a greater purpose for themselves and the world. To make it through this life, we need to each find our sense of purpose, to orient and support ourselves amidst the fragmented pulls of our busy lives and the chaos, devastation, hatred, and destruction that seems to be continually escalating in this world we live in. I think for many of us, the ability to remain deluded to the fact that there is much challenge and crisis afoot and to meet this world as it is and where it is whether ourselves, the individual, in relationship to our own small worlds, or the larger community of beings, including the Earth, we must have some survival tools that actually allow us to thrive and to be a contribution to others. We can begin here by taking refuge. Refuge offers support for our journeys as we move through the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows in a lifetime. Through gain and loss, through peace and chaos. In taking refuge, we reaffirm and remember our sacred connection with the world. Refuge is not necessarily religious. Refuge can be as simple as making conscious our trust in a lineage of teachings. We may take refuge in a higher power, such as AA, where it has shown that such faith has proven to be transformative for thousands of people around the world. Much of the success of the 12-step programs and other support groups rests on faith, and in the power of their sangha, the conscious community that is created. We thrive with faith. Our faith may be spiritual or clearly non-religious, a faith in the natural world, in the unborn generations ahead, in life itself. To live wisely we need to find a trusting connection to the world. Taking refuge reorients our life. Our refuge becomes a touchstone, a wellspring to draw from at every challenge we face. In this tradition, this Vipassana tradition, this mindfulness tradition, this Theravadan tradition, we include in our training taking refuge. In Buddhism, taking refuge is the door we walk through as we engage, integrate, and metabolize the words and the practice on our journey to freedom. An examination into where do you find yourself looking for a safe place, a sanctuary, where do you find that, and do you really? 
What do you rely on? Most often, this brings us to the realization and recognition that we have been resting or relying on something or someone that was not really true at all. We might take refuge in our relationships. What have we invested? How much we cling to others? Being in relationship through attachment, through fear, through laziness. Work. What have we invested? If only I could have a new boss. If only tomorrow was here so I could go on vacation. School, education, a big part of the in our lives. The perpetual student, never taking the action and the learn it into your life in the world. Taking refuge in depression, anxiety. Sounds a little odd, but the familiar, no matter how uncomfortable, is easier to engage with than standing on the precipice of the unknown and moving forward with trust and faith. The physical body, the adornments, the prettying up, the dressing, not bad things, but what is the attitude that you bring to that? What does it offer you? Is it some artificial sense of peace, some artificial sense of good? This practice is not here to make us suffer. We only suffer because we have not practiced wisely, because we have not done what is necessary to let go of ignorance, to let go of our attachments. It is important to acknowledge this. Perhaps it is false perceptions that because we are practicing, we have to be terribly serious and feel that unless we experience some pain or hardship, that somehow something is not quite right. Imagine that. Moving through life in such a way that you engage with whatever comes before you from a place of ease, that you do not get taken off your center by the unexpected, by life. This seems to be our human predicament. Unless something hurts, we don't really wake up. We don't open our eyes and look. So whether once or often or every day to recite the refuge as a reminder out of our habit, we take refuge in things like anger and worry. We tend to take refuge often in self-pity or pleasure, distraction, obsession with ourselves or wanting to eat or sleep all the time and then take refuge in feeling guilty about eating or sleeping. So we have a habitualized tendency to take refuge in the non-skillful things, things that make us unhappy or in the end cannot bring us joy. If we did not have reminders, if we did not have skillful means to bring back into consciousness what's really important in life, we would forget ourselves and never see the way out of suffering. 
from the words of the Buddha, going for refuge is an act by which we acknowledge the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha as guiding ideals. The spiritual truths are not out there somewhere in a book, in a talk, on a video, not something you sign on for. It is intrinsically in us, closer than we have allowed ourselves to know prior to taking on this practice. We forget. We don't really listen. We don't remember to listen. There is much about this path that at its core is about forgetting and remembering. It is the nature of things. The act of going for refuge marks the point where we commit ourselves to taking the Dharma as the primary guide for living one's life, taking relief from internal and external dangers we become committed to living in line with the principles that actions based on skillful intentions lead to happiness and actions based on unskillful intentions lead to suffering. Although the tradition of going to refuge is an ancient practice, it is still relevant for our practice today. We are faced with the same internal dangers that faced people in the Buddha's time. We still need the same protection as they did. When we take refuge, it is essentially an act of taking refuge in the doctrine of karma, the doctrine of cause and effect. It is an act of surrender in that one is committed to aligning the life that is lived with the principles and understanding of cause and effect. To take refuge in this way ultimately means to take refuge in the quality of our intentions, for that's where the essence of karma lies. They go to many a refuge, to mountains, forests, parks, trees, and shrines, people threatened with danger. That's not the secure refuge. That's not the highest refuge. That's not the refuge having gone to which you gain release from all suffering and stress. But when having gone for refuge to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, you see with right discernment the Four Noble Truths, stress, the cause of stress, the transcending of stress, and the Noble Eightfold Path the way to the stilling of stress, that's the secure refuge, the highest refuge. That is the refuge having gone to which you gain release from all suffering and stress, the Dhammapada. There are a number of ways to help us remember, meditation, collective rituals, being in nature, reconnecting with a sense of spirit and aliveness. In this tradition, the first step in taking us towards remembering who we really are is the taking of refuge. Refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. The three refuges are also referred to as the triple jewels or gems. They are called this because they are valuable, 
and because in these ancient in the ancient times gems were thought to have protective powers these gems do create practice the protective powers against greed aversion and delusion a person taking refuge in the Buddha is not asking for the Buddha to personally intervene or to provide protection. So there's not this deifying of this man to help us out. <laughs> Still, one of the Buddha's central teachings is that human life is fraught with dangers from greed, from anger, and delusion. And so the concept of refuge is central to the path of practice. The practice is aimed at gaining release from these dangers because the mind is the source both of the dangers and of the release. There is a need for two levels of refuge, external and internal. The internal level is where true refuge is found. On the internal level, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha are the skillful qualities we develop in our own minds, imitation of our external models. For instance, the Buddha was a person of wisdom, purity, and compassion. When we develop wisdom, purity, and compassion in our own minds, they form our refuge on an internal level. The Buddha tasted awakening by developing conviction, persistence, mindfulness, concentration, and discernment. When we develop these same qualities to the point of attaining freedom, that awakening is our ultimate refuge. This is the point where the three aspects of the triple gems become one, beyond the reach of greed, anger, and delusion, and thus totally secure. Traditionally, there are three levels of Buddhist refuge, outer, inner, and innermost. On the outer level, we take refuge in the historical Buddha, a remarkable wise human being who pointed the way to inner freedom, who found the way through his lived experience. It is not the man, Siddhartha Gautama, we take refuge in, but the fact that he awakened. Trusting in the belief that he did awaken to the truth and that he did this by developing qualities that we too can develop and that the truths to which he awoke provide a best perspective for the conduct of our lives. We take refuge in the Dharma the teachings, the teachings of generosity, compassion, and wisdom that bring freedom. The Dharma, the path of practice, the Buddha taught his followers. The words of the teaching, the act of putting the teachings into practice, and the attainment of awakening as a result of that practice. This three-pointed understanding of the word dharma actually acts as a map directing us on how to take the external refuges and make them internal by learning about the teachings, using them to develop the qualities that the Buddha himself used to attain awakening, and then 
causing the realization of the same release from the dangers that he found in the quality of freedom that we can touch inside. Lastly, we take refuge in the Sangha, in the Buddhist community of awakened beings. This outer refuge connects us to tradition and to the millions of followers of this path over time. There are two senses of this external level of Sangha, the historical ancestral lineage of the community of monks and nuns and lay people who have practiced the Dharma and who have gained a glimpse of the freedom that is available and the communities of monks and nuns and lay people who though may not all be reliable models of behavior have helped keep the teachings alive for more than 2,500 years. So when looking for guidance in the conduct of our lives, we must look for the living examples provided by the ideal Sangha. Through their example, we can know that awakening is available to us all and not just the Buddha and how awakening expresses itself in real life. Taking the inner refuge, taking the inner refuge of the Buddha, we shift from the historical Buddha to the Buddha nature in all beings. We take refuge in the potential for awakening in us all. The inner refuge of the Dharma shifts from the outer teachings to the inner truth to seeing things the way they are. We commit ourselves to follow the truth and live in accord with it. The inner Sangha shifts from the Buddhist community to all beings being dedicated to awakening. We take refuge in this stream. And finally, taking the innermost refuge in the Buddha here we take refuge in the timeless consciousness and the ultimate taste of freedom. We can see the extremes of the mind, happiness, unhappiness, pleasure and pain, inspiration and despair. We can see hope and depression. We can see praise and blame. We can see agitation, sleepiness, boredom the whole range of it. And that seeing is a balancing factor because we become aware of our attachments to these moods, these states of mind. Without a refuge in the knowing, in the awakened mind, we'd never be able to look at the mind. We'd be lost in confusion perpetually. The refuge in knowing is very important. Taking refuge within the Buddha actually keeps us in touch with what is real, what is actually true. That is most probably one of the reasons we, forget, we begin to forget about it. The meaning of mindfulness is recollection, to remember. We can remember every time we get lost in being silly or in being unkind or impatient or in being angry. We can also remember that we don't have to change ourselves. The compassion of the Buddha nature refuge is that in being awake to what is happening, 
There is no judgment. We don't have to become somebody who is not angry or who is not silly. We can actually acknowledge what is happening and accept it in consciousness and in our hearts. As soon as we have this clear vision of what's going on, we realize that it's changing and see clearly the uselessness of struggling to keep things permanent, to keep ourselves as permanent entities. When we take refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, all things become our teacher. Life itself is our teacher. And there comes the realization and proclamation that there is one true nature of which we are all a part. Sounds like a pretty good way to go, given the conditions and circumstances of this life that we are leading now all the trouble all the trouble can be met looked at understood and held with love and compassion such that it allows you a pathway to be able to make choices for yourself in response to whatever your own personal struggle and suffering may be about but also to become engaged in the world Many people are needing refuge now. Who are we in the face of that? How will we engage with those outside of ourselves who we may be able to assist to bring some peace, to bring some clarity, to bring some love, to bring some light, to bring some compassion? Each of us needing to decide what that might look like for ourselves bringing the practice from the individual saving of this individual soul to encompass the community, the sangha, the block, the city, the state, the country, the continent, the world. Grounding ourselves in this practice and making sure that our Refuge is strong, such that it allows us to be able to meet that, to hold that for people who don't yet know uh, that there is a way out. That yes, there is pain, but suffering is optional. And to awaken to that fact. Taking a moment to just touch in and think about what is your relationship even to this concept of taking refuge in this path with the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha? How does that exist for you? How might you at the end of this year of 2015, these 365 days which we are quickly approaching, moving into the beginning of a new 365 days, where will you find yourself in relationship to managing your life, in relationship to engaging with a practice that, when done, can effectively allow you the opportunity to live 
in a way that brings peace and joy to yourself, regardless of what is happening. And then as you become fortified, as you become strengthened, as you develop and um, grow your courage, stepping out, I know that there are some powerful people in this room. But how do you sustain yourself so that you can continue to move forward with others from that place of power and not be zapped or sapped? It's the refuges. Can even be useful to, uh, on a daily basis, not just when you come to a sitting or not just when you go to a day long. Or that might be one of the practices you consider taking on when you open your eyes in the morning or when before you get out of bed or before you open the door to leave your abode. You might pause and stop. I know many of you are sitting. And even as you enter into your sit, beginning with acknowledging uh, all the foundation, all the history, all the practice that has gone before us. So just in a way to move us out of the individual and into uh, looking to move into the community in terms of the refuge, I'm just going to play a little song for you and it has a little uh, visual that goes with it by Sweet Honey and so just relax and take a look
Just taking a moment to sit now. Taking refuge. Take. To lay hold of with one's hand. To reach for and hold. To carry or bring with one. To accept or receive. To make, undertake, or perform. To plant a seed that takes root or begins to grow. Refuge. Shelter or protection from danger or distress, as from the weather or danger. A place that provides shelter or protection. Something to which one has recourse in difficulty. Fortress, a haven, a retreat, sanctuary, anchorage, home, opening, port, safe place, way out, have privacy, harbor. So just taking a few minutes now to um, turn into a dyad with a person right near you. We don't have a lot of time, so we won't break into groups. But just to share with each other how it has fallen for you, hearing all of this, seeing all of this, practicing with each other. Had you even considered that there is such a thing as having a relationship with taking refuge. How have you taken refuge? What might you leave here tonight considering taking refuge in? So if you turn to a partner, um, I'll ring the bell after a couple of minutes and then you'll switch and then we'll come back into the larger group and do a little bit of sharing. Sharing. So just uh, taking a minute or two, is there anyone that would like to share anything that um, came up when you were speaking to each other or just in general? Have time for one or two shares if there's anything that bubbling that wants to be shared with the whole community as opposed to your partner, just your partner. Misha. Just kidding. Thanks. Um, one thing that came up for me as I was speaking with Maria was the idea of um, refuge relative to escaping Mm. and avoidance. So when you were talking about that, that not looking at something like necessarily head on, but just there was a way that I, tonight I understood it as taking care mm. and pausing and understanding the, and you said discernment, understanding discernment, distinction and discerning between that and when I'm running away from something that really I should be with. Mm. Thank you. 
anybody else. Don't let the opportunity pass you by. Something really gets locked in when you say it publicly. It lands in the body in a different way. <laughs> Delilah. <coughs> Hello. Hi. I'm Diana. Um, what I shared with my group was just the profound gratitude that I feel for this, um, for, for this Sangha. That's the heart calling up. Um, I've been living in Paris. And I live two blocks away from where the attacks happened. Um, <laughs> it's coming out. Um, and it's been deep. Mm -hmm. As a person of color, as a conscious person of color, um, just as a human, <laughs> the level of everything that's been going on, um, the level of backlash that's happening to Muslim folks right now there, um, to people of color in general right now in the world. And, and I've really had been needing that refuge. Mm. I mean, it just really, what you mentioned just really, really resonated because I've been needing it. I've been feeling just, uh, I need to go to 27th Street. <laughs> you know, like, um, and right now I'm visiting for the holidays and it was like the first thing on my itinerary <laughs> was that I was. need to sit. I came yesterday with Gina, I came today. Um, and so, yeah, just a very deep, profound gratitude for everybody and just remembering that, that there's many different ways to take that refuge. The physical space is incredible, um, but that I can also consciously mm. create that refuge in, in some kind of way that I'm still trying to figure out when I'm on the road. Um, yeah, but mm. I just, thank you. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Okay, so thank you both for sharing and I'm gonna move on. We don't have too much time left. Uh, this evening and so if you haven't heard it yet I'm on a roll with this like universe thing so the other thing I want to bring to our attention as we move out into the world for um, these last two weeks of this year is that um, Friday which is um, Christmas Day which means many different things to many different people but there's going to be a full moon on Friday and it's the first time that there's been a full moon since 19 where am I 1977 on Christmas and it won't happen again until 2034 so I know some of y'all be here and some of us won't <laughs> so take a look <laughs> Friday night um, at the full moon um, that falls within the same week as the solstice just wanted to illustrate that. And to, to, to take us out, I'm gonna, um, when we were at our uh, CDL4 reunion, um, it, it was offered in, in one of our uh, sharings, one of our 
Dharma Sibs um, was sharing about uh, geology and astrophysics and all kinds of stuff. So I figure I'll take us out on the same uh, road in terms of the, the universe and the stars and the moon and the solstice. And um, I wrote her yesterday and I said, I want to talk about this. Can you tell me again, like what you do and, and what you're about and what that whole thing is about us being made up of stardust? And so she wrote me back and this is what she said. But first I'm going to tell you what um, Carl Sagan said. So what Carl Sagan said is, the cosmos is within us. We are made of star stuff. We are a way for the universe to know itself. And my dear Dharma sibling, Rachel Lewis, this is what she wrote back when I asked her. She said, about stardust, I did my PhD in a subfield called nuclear astrophysics which is the study of how stars shine and of how the chemical elements are formed in the Big Bang. In the Big Bang 13-ish billion years ago, all of the hydrogen, all of the hydrogen, and much of the helium in the universe was formed, plus tiny bits of lithium and beryllium. The way our sun gets the energy to shine is by turning hydrogen into helium through nuclear fusion. Our sun is a pretty typical star. Most stars end up running out of fuel and sort of petering out and becoming a white dwarf. If a star is quite massive, though, it runs through all sorts of other fuels, making new chemical elements by burning the products of its previous stages of fusion. And if it's massive enough, it will run out of fuel entirely and become a supernova. I'm leaving out a lot of steps here, she says. <laughs> the elements lighter than iron, carbon, oxygen, even calcium, are made in the pre-supernova stage. But elements heavier than iron silver, gold, uranium, can only be made during the supernova explosion itself. And it's only during the explosion that elements get ejected from the star into the galaxy. The leftovers from the explosion then coalesce to form new stars and star systems. And in fact, one way of telling how long ago a star was formed is by checking to see how much of the heavy elements calcium, iron, and so forth, it has. Stars that formed soon after the Big Bang will be just hydrogen and helium, while stars that formed more recently are recycling the detritus of supernova. So what that means for us is that all of the hydrogen around us, like in water, like in our bodies, is from the Big Bang. And every single other thing in our body calcium in our bones, iron in our blood, is literally stardust. This matter that makes up our bodies, which we think of as ours or us, is really only ours for a very short time. We are all one. The world is a marvelous place. So going out, I'm going to... Um, read a poem, and then we'll sit for a few minutes. 
and then we'll be done. Song of the Star. I am nothing but oxygen and hydrogen, a luminous sphere of plasma held together by helium and gravity. And like a balloon, I float on earth, waiting to be released back into the sky, waiting to go back in the reverse direction from which I came, traveling through a warm tunnel of light and out into a dark, cold abyss where I will explode into a thousand pieces. I shall leave behind my body, just like air abandons the skin of a shattered balloon. And the magnetic dust that carries my heart and spirit will lift us back to congregate and shine with the stars. Home again in the fluorescent kingdom of the constellations, I will once again be called by my soul's true name. And my heart, it will flicker again with every memory from its many lifetimes and with every wish. For a moment. Buddha. Buddhism at Christmas time. Really, what could be more Buddhist than a holiday that celebrates giving, compassion, and human warmth? Here's a little present for you, a quote from a 16th century Italian monk. I salute you. There is nothing I can give you which you have not, but there is much that, while I cannot give, you can take. No heaven can come to us unless our hearts find rest in it today. Take heaven. No peace lies in the future, which is not hidden in this present instant. Take peace. The gloom of the world is but a shadow. Behind it, Yet within our reach is joy, take joy. And so at this Christmas time, I greet you with the prayer that for you, now and forever, the day breaks and the shadows flee away. May the merits of our practice benefit all beings. May all beings be free. May all beings come to know the reality of who we really are. May all beings come to understand the richness of the differences and the diversity which only makes us stronger as a human race. May all beings be safe and in troubled times know to lean into grace. 
May all beings be safe and secure. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy and strong. May all beings take care of themselves with ease. May we all be free. May we all be free. May we all be free. Be well, travel safely through this week and through the next year. Thank you for spending. Everyone have a happy new year. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.